When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. I had been so used to over the years of being on expedition and being a sniper and always just being connected to the environment. You know, knowing, noticing when the leaves are turning you know, noticing buds on, on on trees after the winter that you know that, you know, we're just about to pop into spring, literally pop, like noticing these things, you know, having that taken away, being outside and interacting with people. So those three things, exercising, being outside and interacting with people, it seemed like were the cornerstones of good mental health. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best What can we learn that's relatable from a modern day action man? Someone who's trained as a marine commando and sniper who runs into active volcanoes, risks his life interviewing Mexican narcos, survived Ebola and broke the Guinness World Record for rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. Well, as it turns out, quite an incredible amount. Aldo Kane is my guest today, and he is an adventurer, explorer, a fellow at the Royal Geographic Society. He's a producer, author, and TV presenter with a penchant for the world's most dangerous and extreme remote locations. Aldo was recently the on-screen expedition leader for National Geographic's latest flagship feature-length natural history series called One Strange Rock, hosted by none other than Hollywood star Will Smith. And this saw Aldo lead a prominent American scientist deep into one of Africa's most dangerous volcanoes whilst it was erupting. And the description of this in his book, Lessons on the Edge, is absolutely riveting. I highly recommend you listen to that bit. And over the last seven years, Aldo has worked on many groundbreaking and, as he describes them, fairly tasty TV shows. He's been held at gunpoint, charged by Black Rhino, abseiled into the active volcano multiple times, actually, escaped Ebola, 
and dived on Captain Kidd's pirate ship. And that's just in the last couple of years. Aldo has appeared with other Hollywood A-listers like Tom Hardy, Adrian Brody, and Henry Cavill in some of the most extreme environments on Earth. And today, we talk about so many themes. We talk about mental fitness, compartmentalizing, something I still struggle to pronounce, flow states, consistency over skill as the secret to success, stoicism and grounding. And a bit of background, if you haven't seen him on one of his many TV shows, Aldo joined the Royal Marine Commandos at the age of just 16. And he went on to become one of the youngest elite commando reconnaissance snipers in the UK armed forces, which is no mean feat with the hardest and longest infantry training in the world. He also saw active military service from Northern Ireland to the Middle East and became a survival expert in many environments. And as you'll hear today, he's probably one of the humblest and nicest people I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. He's calm, collected, jovial, chatty, and altogether grounded, as I would describe it. I could have easily chatted to him for hours, but instead, I recommend you either read or listen to his book that he narrates himself, Lessons from the Edge, that you can find in all good bookstores. It's a fantastic book for Christmas, and it is perfect escapism. Just a bit of warning, the language on today's episode is a little bit salty or tasty on this episode, so just take care if any kids are listening in. And remember, check out the doctorskitchen.com newsletter where I share weekly mindset tips, many of which Aldo puts into practice when he's in extreme environments such as breath work and reframing. On to the pod. I've had you um I've had you in my ears the whole week, right? And it, and it, <laughs> and throughout the week it it kind of feels like I'm listening to like 10 different books in one because you've had so many life experiences, so many different, you know, parts of the world that you've worked in, you know, different elements of your life and stuff. And um the one thing that kind of struck me is um you're, you've been able to like uh, curate this incredible life that by your own admission that is quite selfish because you, you can just do things around the world and stuff. And obviously your, your priorities are changing now. But the one thing that, that made me, um, what it made me think about was this, uh, this quote from Naval Ravikant. I'm not too sure if you're aware of him. He's a, no. he's a tech billionaire in um, Silicon Valley. He's uh, the founder of AngelList. And he's written this book, uh, which is all about the guide to work and happiness. So it's, it's geared towards people like in the tech industry and, and, and people, you know, who work in office jobs. But he, he f- there's this one thing. It's like, find work that feels like play. And, and listening to your, your experiences, it just sounds like you've nailed it. It sounds like you found like the perfect balance that makes other people see what you do, think like, oh my God, I can never do that. But for you, it's like the most incredible way to live your life. And it feels like you just wake up every single day and you're like, I'm smashing life. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, my, my wife wouldn't agree with that. Sometimes she thinks <laughs> I'm a grumpy old git. But um, you, you, you mentioned it sort of when you, you know, when you first um, started there was curated and you know, if, it's hard to say this without sounding arrogant, so that's not the way that I'm trying to come across. But what I'm trying to say is, is that um, it's it's been planned. I have planned it that way. I, 
discovered very early on that that life is incredibly fragile and brief you know even if we live to a hundred years it's it's just such a flash in the pan a speck of of you know it's it's almost like it doesn't matter but yet for us you know that's such a long period of time inverted commas and um i think i sort of found out early on um that that you know life was incredibly short but it there was there was hacks to it um and and the hacks were first of all the biggest life hack that you know that i can probably try and communicate is the fact that you you can literally be do have whatever you want now that sounds ridiculous but most people you know in my experience of talking to them, talking to them don't really know what it is that they want you know we're so busy and maybe you do for a bit when you're at university because you have to choose what you want to go and study and then you come out and then there's all of this decision again and all of these things to do so I feel lucky that early on I, I found that passion you know that passion for me was was adventure mm. being outside um and you know working with other like-minded people and testing myself physically mentally and emotionally and and I think since I found that and discovered that everything that I've been doing has been with purpose um and and short periods of my life and time that I haven't had purpose has been the times that I've been the most sad and the most lost um and so so for me personally that that purpose gives me the drive that pushes me to do all of these things that I do and maybe that's the biggest thing you know if if the why isn't big enough then then it's very hard to to get out of bed and smash the day yeah yeah I mean it sounds like you've had that drive from quite an an early part of your you, you know your life like I mean maybe we could talk a bit about your upbringing because it's it sounds to me that you had like real ambition as a kid like you saw that marine who came into the the cafe and you're like that's exactly what I want to do like and and that's you had that focus like what 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 how did that come from your your parents or certain elements of your of your early life um I'm not entirely sure looking back you know my I I kind of just always thought that it's normal and feel like it's normal and I you know I joined the marines at 16 um and and was then in in a unit of um let's say a thousand men who are all high achievers by default so i found that you know it, it was kind of easy it was the norm to be an overachiever it, you know in in certain respects it was the norm to to just be continually pushing and driving um so i don't know i'm not entirely sure whether that's nature or nurture on that fact that you know maybe maybe the seeds were there from just the upbringing that I had being outside being in the scouts kind of I don't know that that I kind of realized early on that everyone you know is just muddling through life you know you my you know my parents I remember them sort of losing the plot at me and shouting and, and me thinking that's bizarre you know I've just made them lose their temper and they're shouting at me it doesn't affect me I literally couldn't care if they screamed at my face or or hit me which they didn't but you know I, like I didn't care because I knew it was a process yeah so I think you know it was maybe I don't know if that's a sort of enlightened way of thinking or, or a stupid way of thinking but it, it just kind of made everything very clear to me that if you want something first of all you have to know what it is that you want and then you just work out what the steps are to get there and and, and at that point I suppose everything became crystal clear that you know there was no 
there's no black magic there's no sort of witchcraft in, in any of it it was just process and graft you know you know what it is that you want to do and then you work to get it um and you know and if you don't work hard enough to get that thing then you obviously don't want it enough it's not mm. that important to you so um i would say yeah a bit of nature and uh nurture yeah and you i mean you give like talks to kids and you've had interactions with people uh you know at at various transitions of their their early life a lot of people that i come across are, are confused about what they want so if somebody was to ask you maybe then they're a teens you know how do you get clarity how, how do you wade through the confusion of what what you really want to do and and instead of getting pulled into what other people are doing what kind of advice do you give them yeah um it, it's it's difficult now you know for me to you know, when I go into school, people want to be into schools. People want to be influencers. They want to be social media um, sort of gurus or they want to be a YouTube um, influencer. And, but but when you dig down into it and say, well, what are you going to, what value are you going to add? You know, that they don't really know what they want to influence people about. Mm. So, you know, that that is the clearest example is how can you, have a massive following if you've got nothing to say, you know, if you've got nothing good to say about the subject. So what I tend to say to people at that point is work out what it is that interests you um, or that you value or that is a big part of your life and then become an expert in that thing and everything else will follow. You know, when you find your passion, it's almost a cliche because it's it's been said for a millennium, but people, you know, more often than not get caught up in the everyday life of before you know it you're sort of strung down by a mortgage and kids in the house and you haven't done all the things that you said you were going to do when you know really it it's it's about understanding what it is that motivates you as a person is it money that motivates you is it helping other people um and so for me personally i feel like adding value to someone else's life is helpful and that's what pushes me and I've never looked for fame I've never looked for riches in fact when I was chasing that in early days in sort of like business and work I like I was a unhappy and b unsuccessful you know I, I didn't make any money doing it mm. and I, I switch into what I'm passionate about and you know before you know it there's there's opportunity everywhere this sort of like the blinkers are off and, and you can see these opportunities but i would say you know in a nutshell people if they are lost you know need to find the thing that they think interests them and the funny thing that becomes apparent over years is that no matter how much you think money is important and a good motivator from the positive it, it generally isn't you know and you know you only need to speak to bankers or people that are making lots and lots of money uh, more than you could imagine was feasible and and they're not happy with their life um or their lot so i think it it goes back to a lot of a lot of the basics of what makes you as a person happy and then we've got to remember that we live in an exponential age where you know we've you know the kids that are coming out of school now are having so much choice so much you know you can earn your money by doing a normal job or you could earn your money by doing something where you don't even need to leave your house or pajamas and you can make more money than I've ever made or more money than my dad has ever made doing his job. Um, you know, and so there is so much 
choice now um but i guess it comes back down to what's important to you what motivates you um and i always think you know if you go out to do something to add value to the community that you're in or to the country or to the world by default you become successful i'm really interested in your opinion on this right because you know you're someone who's been to all corners of the world you've rode across the ocean you know you, you've gone through marine training sniper training and we're moving towards a meta world right so facebook is rebranding to meta for example a lot more of us are spending more time on our screens we're essentially cyborgs as like elon musk has said because we always have a phone next to us and we have access to the information it's going to be a very small amount of time before we're actually going to have devices inside us as well and we're going to be spending less proportion of our time in real life having those genuine experiences. What do you think, now that you have a child, okay, what, what do you think about the next 10, 20 years? And how do you feel, if you do feel that you need to protect them from the downside of, of excess connectivity? I think it's, I mean, this is super interesting. And it's something I don't get to talk about or think in depth enough about because when I speak to people, on a podcast, they want to know about abseiling into volcanoes. Yeah. You know, like I don't know, being chased by a rhino or something. Yeah. But you know, what what is interesting is, you know, you travel to a hundred odd countries. You see, you know, let's say I'm in the Amazon or I'm in Suriname, and I'm paddling down a river. It, you know, that no one's ever paddled down before, and there's a a big blossom tree that's just come into blossom, and the flowers are falling down spiraling down the seeds into the river you know like that is something that is incredibly difficult to recreate you know being there but having said that you know the age that we live in now you said about facebook talking about the metaverse we already live in a connected digital world where you and i are in the pub you know imagine 15 years ago 20 years ago you asked me a question how far is it across atlantic i'm like no idea now I can go, well, it's this far. Yeah. You know, I could go to the toilet and be sneaky and, and pull it up <laughs> and then come back. And, you know, like we have, we have all of this information at our hands and at our fingertips. And I think, you know, potentially it's incredibly, incredibly exciting times, you know, and we live in the metaverse anyway, you know, my phone, I can jump into several different worlds in a second. You know, I can email, I can be in Instagram and I think, when people talk about the, the sort of interconnectedness of the metaverse, it's, it's just the, you know, it's Web3, it's the interconnectedness, the Internet of Things, everything is is just seamlessly linked, you know, and, and it's the same now, you know, I jump in my car, I've got um, an electric fold, jump in the car, I don't connect my phone, I don't have to go through all this stuff to make sure it's talking. And, you know, my phone, the last tune that I was listening to comes up. It knows where my home is. It, you know, it knows how I drive. And, you know, thinking, you know, I was I was thinking uh, we were away camping a couple of weeks ago and Atlas was sat, this was in my van and he sat in the front and he's like playing with a gear stick and he's, and I was thinking he'll, he'll probably never be taught to drive. Yeah. Yeah, and he'll not need to learn to drive because at some point, very soon, mm. there will be there will be is it stage five autonomous vehicles? Uh, either way, yeah. you know he'll call a car, a car will come with no one in it. It will pick him up and it will take him somewhere else. 
and that'll be it. Yeah. You know, he he won't need to drive. And, you know, in, in, in a way, you think a lot of people that I speak to in my line of work think, yeah, it's shit. You know, it's really bad. It's wrong. You know, everyone's going to, you know, turn into lazy couch potatoes. Yeah. But I wonder, I wonder, you know, does getting rid of all the things that, that we need to do now, um, does that give us more time to enjoy real environments mm. to get outside I'm, I'm not sure and maybe maybe it's just everyone becomes a better or worse version of themselves yeah already yeah and 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 maybe the other side is you know i can't get to val skiing this week but i can jump into the metaverse and have a morning of it and then still be in the office in london on you know in the afternoon i don't know what happens when it starts becoming better than real life that's probably that's that's the the scary but i think if it becomes better than real life because right now i i guess you know there is a degree of separation like the fact that we're having a conversation through some pretty good high definition screens is is great but it can't compare to if you were right in front of me and we were like chatting over coffee or a pint or whatever um you know but when it becomes as good or better that's where it's like oh okay that that's where it becomes a bit scary it's, i mean it's it's already happening so there is technology now that we can zoom but we can be in the same room and it's you know it's in early stages but it's almost as good as being in the room with you you know i can see around you in three dimension you can see me and then you know and and maybe you know maybe the pandemic already showed that is that people either don't want to or don't have to be in city hubs. Um, you know, we can we can move out to the country and, you know, maybe we get a surf in, in the morning, then we're in the meeting in London. It's not time travel, but it's as good as you're going to get. Yeah. You know, you, you can be surfing in the morning and actually sat in what feels like a real office in London, New York, somewhere else by the afternoon, and then you can be back out walking the dog along the beach, you know, that night. I Maybe it's just got to do with how people already see life now and what they make use of in their life yeah. already. I'm, I'm, I'm a, an internal optimist about this kind of stuff, right? So I see the positives. So, yeah, I think you've even mentioned it in your book where uh, you've become more of a con- conservationist uh, throughout your travels because you want to protect everything you've seen. And you, you, you live in a, a bit of, um, you know, you've got two opinions about uh, talking about the stuff in a book uh, versus encouraging people to go out and jump on planes and go and see it for themselves as you want to, you know, try. And so if we could have experiences where you're the one jumping down a volcano, you're the one like swimming down the Amazon river and I can experience that and then still have a rich experience of going for a walk through hills close to home in the UK and having that, you know, connection with nature, then that's kind of like the best of both worlds and and also yeah. from a from a living perspective you know it means that i don't have to be cooped up in the middle of london breathing all the uh the uh, polluted air i could live further outside and still attend meetings or still you know practice medicine remotely yeah exactly and uh, you know yeah I, I think i'm the same in in a way it's it's you know I, whether it's positive or negative you you can have as a human we can't change the path of that adventurous path of you know exponential growth and continually um, exploring you know we you know we did it with countries and then we're doing it with space and then we're doing it with planets um yeah i yeah it's, it's interesting i haven't fully got my my head around it yet i feel 
positive in that respect. Um, and, you know, it seems like, you know, we sort of came from, you know, a hunter-gatherer age and then we, you know, we then work out how to grow um, and farm crops and animals, um, sort of agricultural. Then we went into industrial and it seems like the next stage that we're sort of pushing into is, you know, information and, you know, I guess being being a fully connected sort of world. And uh, yeah, I, you know, going back to your question with Atlas, I'm excited, but I, you know, I'm also, I would like to instill in him that he can still get out and see these places. But, you know, like you say, with, you know, with encouraging people to travel is, is going against, you know, this sort of what's happening with the planet, air travel, um, and, and yeah, all of these things that end up being digitized and in the metaverse and in these worlds have to, someone still has to have that in their head. Like, is it Pixar with Up? Yeah. You know, and you, you, you see them on top of Angel Falls, you know, and it, it looks like what it was like up there and that, you know, there had to be people to go and see that and to have it in their head and then to, to film it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's super exciting. I think, you know, we're in a unique situation where we can... We, we haven't grown up with uh, with devices throughout our... I mean, you're six about six years older than me. So when I went to school, I didn't get my first mobile phone until I was like 14 or 15. You didn't have mobile phones throughout your, your schooling. So you've developed uh, almost like the in real life skills to be able to deal with technology in an appropriate way. Whereas I think right now we're, what we're seeing with, with children is, you know, they, they've, ha- they've always had screens in front of them. And I, and I think one of the things that, that spoke to me in your book is you have this unique ability to visualize and picture yourself and almost compartmentalize as well. And, and, and I wonder if that was through your marine training, because I think that will serve people in the future when we have to deal with multiple um, devices that are grabbing our attention. Um, and is, is that something that you, you developed during your, your training or is that yeah. something you've always had? compartmentalizing a situation and, and dealing with you know being being calm in chaos finding comfort in chaos is is you know it's, it's not taught in a lesson in the marines per se they don't say we're going to teach you uh you know comfort in chaos today it's you know it's not that but what they do is they train you so much you know train hard fight easy they train you so much that when a situation unfolds wherever it is in the world you're not only ready, but you're ready for the curveball. And I think that's, you know, that's what that compartmentalizing does is that um, it allows you breathing space. You know, when when the proverbial does hit the fan, it's, you know, it, a lot of people just get bogged down into, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people in any situation that, that might not even be life-threatening will be straight into a, a sort of denial phase and then deliberate what do we do now uh, don't do anything stumble around not make decisions and then eventually get to decision making whereas you know in in the marines in the military and certainly in the expedition life that i lead you can you can another life hack is you know you just make a decision straight away you know think about all of the options you've got make a decision and and by doing that you're compartmentalizing that situation um and and you're dealing with it so even if that is out of your controls let's say a situation that you get thrown into bang tuesday morning there you go you're in this situation you didn't choose it it's not of your doing but you do have the option as to a how you act and b how you think um 
and you know the the denial phase in a trauma situation or the denial phase in a um a situation that's i don't know that could be happening on the tube for example or deliberating all of this is just using up valuable time mm. and so so for me it's much more about in and this is true in any life situation um it doesn't need to be extreme is to just gather the facts deal with facts try and remove it's an important part emotion but try and understand where that's coming from then remove it deal with facts often write it down and then make a decision and and more often than not i find bear in mind i'm not a psychologist but i find that is directly transferable from you know having to come up with a, a quick fix in the jungle to a situation that could potentially unravel and, and someone ends up dead you know that's you know the the same process is available in everyday life to everyone about things that are keeping them awake at night financial issues family issues relationships and a lot of it i think you find is that you end up being hemmed in by your own imagination or by you know even worse than your own opinion is someone else's opinion mm. um so yeah that compartmentalizing a situation and dealing with the facts in that situation um, and then making a decision is is quite it's a liberating process and it you know it allows you to move on regardless of whether that decision was right or wrong if it was the wrong decision it opens other doors and other opportunities um but i always feel that gives you control of that situation that that you're in yeah yeah i mean I, i'll be honest in the spirit of vulnerability i really struggle with this and i'm someone who has meditated most of their life, right? So I was taught how to meditate when I was a teenager before my GCSEs. My, my par- I come from an Indian background, so my parents taught me that. I meditate before I go to clinic and stuff. I do meditations in the morning. During my 10 minutes of meditation every day, which is kind of a formalized process, I'm not too sure if you do something as formal as that, but I get tons of thoughts in my head. I struggle really hard to, to really uh, focus my thoughts on even just deep breathing. And there's there's a bit of the the start of the book as well as later on in the book where you're in the middle of your um, uh, sniper recce, I think, in Iraq, and you go into what sounds and, and is described like a flow state. Is that something yeah. you can can still do now? Is that something that is, is, is some, something that you formally practice or something that just comes quite naturally to you? Um, I would say that it's, it's not natural. Um, I've never... You know, I've, I've, as much as I love to, the thought of sitting with the sun rising and, and just being like in a state of Zen and, <laughs> you know, like doing yoga and breathing and, you know, it's, it's never been formal like that for me as much as I would love that to be, you know, I've just never been taught. Mm. But for me, the sniping part of my early life, it wasn't ever about pulling a trigger or, or doing anything violent which is strange it was much more about being able to connect with the environment that i'm in um, and it sounds really cheeseball but being at one in that environment understanding that i can move from a to b and be completely self-sufficient and no one will see me jungle desert arctic mountains wherever that is that supreme confidence of being able to to move and operate in those situations and by default one, the confidence, and two, the ability or the necessity to control fear. You know, we don't, we don't not feel it, but the ability to control fear, internal voices, 
nagging voices in your head all of these things that we all suffer from it's it's just a much um you know the the shooting part of like if you're on the range and you're doing shooting practice you kind of you've got two or three things which are incredibly important right at that very space in time in your life to make that shot hit the target the bullseye um everything else is noise so it's it's focus um you know i'm i'm not very good at multitasking i can do five or six things at once and not all of them will be done very well um but when you focus on one specific task it's it is amazing what you can achieve just by focusing on one thing or two things and doing them to the best of your ability and i suppose that is you know that is a state of flow when you can you know when you're breathing and and actually if you i think if you bring break um, all states of meditation and and states of flow back to the basics it's breath work mm. and and you know i don't formally practice it but because i free dive and because you know by free diving by definition you need to a remain calm and and b you know, you're, you're under the water, there's physiological changes happening to your body, you become in a very natural state of, of chill. But I also get the same from running and I get the same from exercising. So if, you know, if I'm being a pain in the backside, my wife will tell me to go for a run. <laughs> or like yesterday, I, I had um, a sort of big, big corporate talk to do last night. And I just, the whole morning just couldn't concentrate on anything. So I just did a very long run and in the run I had broken everything down that I needed to be doing in the evening into these chunks. It all just becomes clear and that is that state of flow, is that state of focus for me and that's probably my my meditation. Yeah, definitely. Because I think most people's idea of sniper training is quite different from your description of it. I'm, I'll be honest, my idea of sniper training was like all about the gear and the gadgets and, you know, the site, the scope and all that kind of stuff. But your description of it made so much sense. Um, yeah. Can you give us a window into to how, how yeah. a, a sniper would operate? I mean, if you speak to any kids... <laughs> or up to up to the age of probably 25 like they're going to know more about sniper rifles technology than than me because they play call of duty right <laughs> so so i remember I, I did a talk at manchester united um a while ago and you know that was that was the hook that got them interested in listening to me talking was the fact that you know they played call of duty and i was a sniper um but yeah you know you it, you can spend a lot of time digging into the tech and ballistics and the weapons and the sight systems, but all of that doesn't matter if you one can't move from A to B, you know, on your own, unsupported, without being seen when people are looking for you. No, that is, you know, fundamental basics, camouflage and concealment. That is the basics of understanding the environment that you're moving through to the you know, to the absolute micro detail of when I'm looking at that branch, you know, the top side of, of leaves are usually shiny and the underside are dull and, and I can see dull and it's on the top. So I'm, you know, it's it's about seeing and understanding the environment, talking about ground sign, all of these basics, you know, why have the birds stopped? Most people in lockdown became aware of 
Bud yeah. Chorus. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But but because you know, I it's it's a, a primary cursor to my day starting in the jungle is chorus, or my day ending in the jungle is the um, the evening chorus. Um, you know, I'm very aware of these things, and you know, they're always there. These signs, these cues are always there, but it's about reading them. So, so for me, being a sniper was much more about the the mental state. So, one, I need to be reliant on myself. I need supreme confidence in my abilities but without the ego because the ego will get you killed um i need to understand um each and every single environment and the nuances of that environment um and so it was much more about that than you know the the tech anyone really it could be argued could be taught on a range with a very high powered rifle and all the right bits of kit could be taught how to shoot and get you know the bullet onto the target most people, not the same majority of people could be taught over a week or two weeks how to actually stock, to map read, to, to understand air photography, you know, so like all of the other bits and pieces. Um, so it was much, it was much more about that to me than, than, you know, the, than the tech. Um, yeah, I guess there's a parallel with uh, marine training in general, right? Because I think most people will look at the hard feats, like the the marching, the climbing, the early starts, and all that kind of stuff. But it's it 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 sounds like it's a lot more about the mental toughness as much as it is the physical toughness, which is why it's so hard to complete that training. And it almost sounds like it's a physical manifestation of training in stoicism. And you, you mentioned you, you you started reading a lot about Stoics. Um, did that help you through that that process? I think you know the reading that I have done of of Stoics and Stoicism has been more of a ah, that's what I am. That's how I am. Mm. Um, it it hasn't like I haven't read it and used it as a textbook to say right. I need to practice this more. You know, I've got shelves of books up there that I have read of things like meditation. I think I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that. But with the, um, you know, stoicism, it, it, it was more like a, ah, that's, I understand that because that's the way I am. Um, and I don't know whether being a soldier makes you like that or not. Um, but I find that that I use a mix of it. You know, I'm I'm not far from a military machine of, you know, physically fit, you know, unbreakable um, and and 110% dialed mentally resilient. You know, that's that's not the case. And actually, it's not the case for, for almost everyone that I know that, that have been elite or special forces. Um, it's very opposite to what someone who sat at home playing Call of Duty thinks a soldier is. Mm. You know, there's there's a, a big sort of paradox there, I guess. Um, but yeah, you know, that... that I guess it is stoicism, but in you know, there's a lot of buzzwords that get thrown around now, like resilience and mental fitness, and all of these things are are you know they're all practicable if you understand a the benefits of them, and you know, and also to understand what the opposite number of that is as well, because you know by building the walls to keep the world out does exactly that you know it keeps good and bad out um so so it's everything's a, a balancing act i think yeah i think a lot of people came to stoicism over the last couple of years because of the scenarios that we found ourselves in so where we couldn't change our external uh environment 
but we could change our internal state. Um, and I mean, I, I've been reading Stoics uh, for the last few years and Meditations is one of my favorite books. I kind of listen to it every now and then, just like 20 minutes. And I like, and I have that same sort of uh, thought process of like, ah, that's that's uh, what how I should uh, process this information or how I should process this uh, uh, situation I find myself in. Um, whereas I guess one pushback is a lot of people might find it quite hard to practice. It's like, oh, it's good for you because you've had that experience. So how do you bring that relation to people perhaps you know who you're doing a corporate talk with or, or kids in schools like how do you how do you make it a lot more relatable to them yes yeah, i uh, i suppose that that you know it's a huge subject but an example might be if you asked someone you know when you know have you ever had road rage screamed at someone lost a temper um which you know, most people have at some point or something's happened, you know, and you, and you got really angry and you lost your temper and then you look back on it a week later, a year later, and you, you're just mortified that, that you've done that. That is an example of, you know, being able to in the moment think in the future, I'm going to, I'm going to hate the fact that I've, you know, done this. Mm. So just breathe. And actually we go back to breathing. Everything can be sorted by breathing and, and distance, you know, time, Time is probably the biggest thing, you know, that there is, the, I mean, there's been some fairly horrendous things done on planet Earth and over a very short space of time, one generation, two generations, it, it's almost forgotten. So so if we can, if that can happen around the world with, with horrendous big things, you know, we can, in our everyday life, we can take, take a step, we can pause, we can give it a bit of time and space. Um, and then and then not react but still you know stoicism is, is one of those things as well that it doesn't help again use my wife as an example it doesn't help to be stony cold and and say well this doesn't affect me because i'm stoic yeah um you know it, and i'm sure you know i'm sure back in the day two thousand years ago marcus aurelius would have been affected and lost his temper by certain things absolutely and, um and so it's it's i think it's a, a balance um and you know it's about i think it's probably about teaching if i was trying to explain it to kids would be about effectively you have control over your thoughts and your actions you know you can't say that someone forced you to do something really um and to take ownership of it yeah i and i think you know we run the risk of sounding puritanical on this so i'm glad that you know you're uh you talk about how your wife still uh thinks you're a git sometimes <laughs> and tells you to go on a run because you know it's it's always like a work in progress like i i was i still have uh discussions with my partner where she's like no you just you know i you just need to hear me feel angry rather than try and provide a solution the whole time or try and tell me that I should be thinking in this way and like I get it sometimes you just need to like catch yourself I'm like okay we're not you know yeah. machines here we are humans with emotions and it's all a work in progress my, my wife would definitely agree with that um, <laughs> I mean it, it, it's, it's helpful it's helpful to a point but then sometimes you know showing your emotion and vulnerability and you know actually more often than not like yesterday it, you know, worried about doing a talk, you know, it comes across in the way that I am and what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And, and you know, that's exactly, and I would be the first person that says, go for a run, go and clear your head, do something. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, particularly for someone like yourself, um, people see 
the trophies of experiences that you've you've had right up to this point they just see the highlight reel but they don't really understand the graft the the constant um uh, pushing you know the chicken dance that you had to do when you were an energy salespeople no one sees that you know uh, like yeah. as, a, as a foundation to everything that you're pushing yourself to do now right yeah it's i mean it's social media you know we we all get a glimpse into this you know this world and you put up the best bits and it's edited and you know even even writing a book really is is edited um you know to to a certain point you're getting the story out there mm. um from your point of view and it's you know if someone else was to write the book about you who knew you well would it be the same would it be different i don't know but um yeah it's you know it, it's taken a long time to get to where I am now. And I certainly would never say that, you know, I'm at the peak of what I'm doing because I feel like if you're at that point, then you're on the way down. Um, so, so for me, you know, fundamentally my job now is, is looking after television and film crews in extreme remote hostile places from a technical level. So I can get a film crew into the canopy of the jungle to film um, a sort of uh, a primate sequence, or I can, um, or I can uh, get a film crew into a war zone, or into um, I don't know, a sort of like narco territory, and, and to do interviews there, um, or you know, it can be environmental mountains, or it can be chasing down drug traffickers or or tiger traffickers in an investigation. So, so really, you know, what what I'm doing is is the I wouldn't say combination, but it's like it's years of all of these different experiences. And what I'm doing now is different to four years ago, different to eight years ago and different to four years in the future. But for me personally, I've always just flexed. And when this when this stops or if it stops for whatever reason, then I, then I'll just, you know, I'll just bail into another direction and find something else within my bounds of the passion that, that drives me I, I will look for another opportunity um if that makes sense yeah yeah no, no, it, it, it definitely does and it, you know someone who's who's read the book and, and listened to it as well uh it definitely makes sense because it, it feels that you've built on your experiences on this foundation that has kept you grounded um on, yeah. on the subject of things that keep you grounded actually apart from your wife it sounds like hoovering does as well what t t tell me a bit about the hoovering obsession <laughs> I, I, don't, I mean like the, the the old adage in the marines is is join the marines clean the world and you know you you, you know you, you you would go somewhere to do an exercise or something in the accommodation you would move into the first thing you would do is clean it so I would say not every Marine's the same as me, but I would venture to suggest that the majority of them are are quite OCD inly clean. Um, so, but I don't know. It's just like, you know, when I, let's say I was over in Colombia doing narco work with um, Foxy and you know, I come back, you know, like the first thing I do is top to toe the house, you know, I like Hoover, you know, and that, you know, that is grounded. Like I don't have cleaners doing all my stuff. Like, one because I know that they're not going to do as good a job as me um and and two that's what I do to decompress you know I come back and and you know and it's it's just a whirlwind for two days of me decompressing and doing all the things where I'm like I'm gonna clean the house I'm gonna hoover I'm gonna do that and and actually what that is 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 me decompressing mm. from the trip you know it's it's 
you know, it's it's probably very classical if if a psychologist was to look at it of coming back from an intense situation to normality and and also a way of sort of tempering you know i don't you know you, let's say you're you're living in the jungle sort of in a hammock and you're traveling every day and it's it's easy like that is easy and then you then come back to everyday life where you know you have the big shop and you know you got to like where am i filling up the car we're going to see this person next week you know like all the normal life stuff is is hard and i get to see that when i'm when I'm away, because when you're on expedition, you have like basics, food, water, shelter, like old school, old school, what, what humans really just had to worry about. Um, and then maybe security protection, you know, if you're, you know, from dinosaurs or from whatever. Yeah. From animals. narcos. Yeah. Narcos. Yeah. Um, so, so that's like really easy. Some people will think that that's hard yeah. you know, you're on expedition and it's, but actually, it's as easy as life gets because you have only got to eat, drink, and sleep. Like, you know, you're doing lots of hard things, but, you know, that's the basics. Whereas you come back and, in a way, you can see why people are so bound by anxiety and fraught because everyday life is just hectic. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so, so when I come back from these trips, you know, then I, I go into my sort of couple of days of decompression like doing the house Anna now knows that it's not because she hasn't been tidying when I've been away <laughs> she just she just knows it's what I do to get my head in order that's such an interesting insight honestly I've had like a revelation there because the fact that you describe what most people's lives are as hard compared to the kind of stuff that you do when you're on shoots or, or traveling or doing ep- expeditions as you know that's the easy side of things like that that's completely different to how i would think about it and most people i guess well that's i mean expeditions so i wasn't saying expeditions are easy no 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 no, of course not (laughs) no but 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 they but but they are so let's say the expedition is hard hard physically right Mm. as a human being hard physical graft is kind of what our heritage is up to a very recent point in time where we didn't need to run after things. Mm. We didn't need to, um, you know, survival. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we, we are eternally comfortable. You know, when was the last time someone was so cold or so warm or so wet, you know, that they just had to ride it out for 12 hours and think, well, tomorrow the sun will come up, so I'll be fine. Whereas, you know, our, our lives now are hectic, you know, they are utterly hectic. And I get, the fear like two or three days before coming back from a trip i get the fear because i'm like i've been off comms now for in fact i was just up in the arctic circle doing a a job um and we were diving under the ice sort of uh, on the sea ice um and we're up there for two months and i had no comms uh no no comms at all no whatsapp no social media nothing and then in the last like two or three days when the ship's starting to move back down, you start getting sporadic bits of comms and you get your emails and that's when the that's when the sort of like anxiety starts to kick in again because you're like, Oh god, I've got to do that, I've got to do that. Then you're into everyday life of, you know, one kid, I've only got one kid now and I'm just you know, I'm like, How do people do it with three, four, yeah. five kids, football training, 
climbing club, weekend stuff, you know, family, friends, money worries, no job, you know, too many jobs. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, it's hectic. Wow. So I have this like decompression after a trip and regardless of how hard it is physically, um, you know, I, I'm doing the basics of food, water, shelter, hard graft. I then come back into this maelstrom of information of hecticness where it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. That is, yeah, that's so funny. I would, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought about that. It, it sounds like you've got your like your routine of decompressing. I mean, what I mean, you, you mentioned at the start that Anna does a lot of the work, obviously for for uh, Atlas. Um, what what are your coping mechanisms for regular life? Then I didn't think I was going to ask you this question at all. <laughs> How do you cope, given that you know you've got to you know, go and see that person, do the shopping, all that kind of stuff? I think you, you know, I'm I'm not an expert at it by by far. <laughs> animal, you know, and animal definitely say you know that I I can be a complete ass. Um, I I think it it's coping is is about again doing the things that matter. You know, like not getting caught up in all the other bollocks that's going on because the, the majority of stuff actually is just noise. Like I don't, I don't sit down at night and watch television. Uh, you know, because it's it, I'm I'm almost too busy up to the point where I'm kind of like, shit. Is at the time it's like eleven o'clock and I, and I'm going to bed and you know I've got ten percent of what I had on my list to do f- for that day. So, um, I I think a coping mechanism is 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 just to get rid of the noise um, we we take actually both of us we take on a lot of things you know like we're active you know we're every weekend almost there's something on yeah. and we're doing something and we could say no to a lot of that but that's the stuff that makes us us it's going away surfing for the weekend or climbing or up to scotland uh, you know like on the on a whim you know like the night before we'll decide that we're going to go and climb ben nevis or you know from bristol um so so that that can feel hectic but also i would imagine getting to 60 and you know being caught up in just not making these decisions and not making these plans you would still be as equally busy they just wouldn't be your plans in fact it's like almost like if you don't have a plan you'll become part of someone else's that's that's probably probably what i mean yeah yeah definitely i mean I, certainly for me having plans and and structuring my day gives me uh like hooks that i can like okay I, and again it's a way in which i um focus and compartmentalize what i need to be focusing on at different periods that certainly helped me um and you know it's funny you just mentioned that about like going up to scotland on a whim i went uh the the closest thing i've had to any expedition of yours is uh going to edinburgh a, a trip that was planned two months in advance grabbing a camper van with my two best mates and then we drove to like isle of sky and we had amazing. every luxury you can imagine we had this amazing <laughs> camper van had a kitchen in it and a shower we stayed at campsite yeah. we really camped wild a couple of nights i think um yeah. and that was that was tough enough for me but i i felt like the sense of like i'm getting into nature here and you're probably like rolling your eyes like who is this london not, not at all <laughs> not, not at all but, uh, because when i you know when, when I, I lived in london for four years and I, like even the lifestyle that that i i was having a hectic life on expedition in a way mm. a lot and you know i i just loved coming back to london and not doing anything yeah. you know i was you know i was living in tooting um and just you know and 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 if you were home for two or three months it was very easy to never leave 
Um, so I, I, you know, I, I totally get that. But um, to go back to what you were saying about the, the routine, you know, that that is important to me. And um, so, like, I will always, even now with Atlas, if he's, you know, up at four or five, I will still always get into the gym. Um, to the point where I just changed my garage into a gym because you know I know that training is important mm. for me. Um, and if I don't get to train, then then I'm going to struggle um, with everything else in, in life. So I made it much easier. So I don't need to go to a gym. So I've almost got no excuse to, to train. Yeah. Um, and, and by making that easier was means that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making it easier for me to do the things that I know make me function well. So that routine, like if I, you know, my, my day is busy and it'll be punctuated with a zoom or a meeting but I will always try and start it with uh, with exercise. Yeah. Um, and then I will always try and end the day by taking the dog out. Like that's my, you know, they're my sort of two cues. I know that's when, you know, I can have a beer then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's, that's that's you know, when my day's like that. And I realized that when I went into the bunker, uh, which we, we sort of mentioned earlier. Yeah. So I, I went into nuclear bunker for 10 days to do this experiment on circadian rhythm and, and sleep. But actually what, what I tried to do as soon as I went in there was because I felt it was so important was to draw a routine up, like scratch it into the walls, you know, my, my 10 days and, and, and then try and break them down as to what I would do. But before each. we, before we describe this experiment, can we just uh, r remind listeners of why you did this in the first place? What, what was the experiment trying to demonstrate? Yeah. Sorry. It was, um, it was a BBC horizon um, experiment called body clock. And it was, it was really a sort of deep dive into, I was just a guinea pig. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was it was just a, a deep dive into sleep. You know, there I didn't realize this. Um, you know, because I, I train fairly hard during the day, and I'm knackered by the time I go to bed, so I sleep all the way through until Atlas came. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't realize, you know, sleep was this the thing that that people really really struggle with. And I know from from years of expedition work and being in the military that sleep deprivation is a killer um not only shortening your your life really if you're doing it a lot um but you know it just makes decision making really bad bad life choices um bad health choices like it, it's just not good for you you know i know that bit so much from from but i thought that was you know it came with the territory of the job and um anyway it was a horizon experiment on uh, sleep deprivation, um, circadian rhythm, and they wanted to see that if if you put someone in the dark um, for ten days, what what happens to their sleep pattern? Um, and no reference to time, no technology, nothing. So it was supposed to be a cave, um, which would have been I would have preferred that because it would have been harder. Um, of but course. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the the the, the cave had um, the cave had radon gas or something in there it would have been a disaster for me if i'd spent oh, 10 days in there so we 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 moved it to um a nuclear bunker so nuclear bunker one story above the ground three or four down underneath um so i kind of get walked in there there's there's a soundproof booth room 
um, down there that's enough to get a single bed in. Um, I get walked down, like say on Monday morning, um, and then they sort of it's all rigged up in cameras, and then then they the film crew head outside and lock the doors, and that's it. I'm in there for ten days on my own. Oh my so no laptops, no phones, no watch, zero. Um, you know, reference to time, and obviously you can't then see the daylight um, anywhere. Um, and so at that point, I I kind of realized that I needed to have structure to my, I was going to say day, but you can't call it a day mm. because you, it, it's a wake cycle or a sleep cycle, which is then what I called it. So I drew 10 squares on the wall and each one of those was going to be my day or my wake cycle. And then I'd sort of write in there like exercise and obviously I don't have time, so it'd be like exercise for an hour. Did you did you and have like a torch or like a light when you were in there? Yeah, yeah. So the the, the room had like ten watt bulbs in it or, or you know, something so you very low. It was yeah, yeah. Very low light, but that was to allow the cameras to work so that obviously you could see it. Um so on the film it looks kind of like it's quite bright, but you you know, you have to put a head torch on if you wanted to read something. Mm. Um so it's and after a while, anyway, I found it very difficult to read because, uh, you know, like my mind was just unravelled and all over the place. So I, I, you know, I'd read the same paragraph over and over again. And I know, you know, people go on retreats where they don't talk, um, or you know, and, and they go on a retreat where where they meditate for ten days or longer. But from what I tell, there's there's not a lot of people that go into solitary confinement. Um, you know, because if you're seeing other things, or let's say you're on a no talking retreat for ten days, but you're outside in the environment, you know, I could I could do that for indefinitely. Um, but when you're in 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 a square box and there's no stimulations visually from your environment, it then becomes quite different. Um, and so I, you know, the the thought process behind it when they asked me if I would do it was that sure like i haven't i couldn't remember the last time that really i i'd I'd been completely off comms from everything and i was heading over to brazil to do a sort of illegal logging film um in the amazon there and and so so she was away and so i I wouldn't have had comms with her anyway and, and i was like right fine you know we'll we'll do it um and yeah it was it was everything that I expected it to be and, and and also everything that I didn't expect it to be wow. just sort of like mentally and emotionally and didn't realize that I was such a, a people person and needed, you know, I'm very, I've always been very good at operating on my own, you know, as a sniper, you know, with confidence in my own ability. I don't need other people to work with for the last 15 years or so I've, I've been self-employed doing what I do so I spend a lot of time on my own at home mm. but but to be you know but I obviously interact with people as much as I can when I can and to have that taken away mm. um was was very strange and this was all before lockdown so this was three years ago I did this right yeah yeah I mean what I mean what did you learn about mental fitness and mental nourishment from that experience because i mean it's it sounds like torture it is a form of torture i, I think um what, what 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 kind of things have you done since that experiment um that that taught you uh everything 
So the um, it is used. Solitary confinement um, is is you know proven to cause um, mental stress and and long lasting uh, mental illness mm. um, in prisoners. So so most prisoners that have been in solitary confinement, I can't remember the stats, um, have have mental illness from it because as a human we you know we're almost programmed to this is this is my take on it we're programmed to interact with people we always have mm. been we're social social animals um but you know i the main takeout that i took away from it was one i can deal with it i knew i was getting out in 10 days i knew that i could deal with it and and i didn't unravel too much by the end of it so i was like you know I was happy with, with that respect. Um, but the big things that I took away from it were that I didn't, I didn't have a, a cue on because I'd always just done them was that without exercising properly daily, without that routine, the exercise formed the sort of cornerstones of without being outside. And I, I don't mean just like sat in the room looking outside, but I mean, outside feeling the wind in my face, you know, smelling the air whatever that type of air is the, the stuff that i had been so used to over the years of being on expedition and being a sniper and always just being connected to the environment you know knowing noticing when the leaves are turning you know noticing buds on 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 trees after the winter that you know that you know we're just about to pop into spring literally pop like noticing these things you know having that taken away being outside and interacting with people. So those three things, exercising, being outside and interacting with people, it seemed like were the cornerstones of good mental health. Mm. For me, the foundational blocks of good mental health. And by taking one or all of those away, um, it, it was it was amazing how, how blue I started to feel. And it made me then think, you know, how, how many people are dealing with anxiety, mental health issues that aren't necessarily giving themselves the best foundation or the best start to then build everything else on top of. Um, and I guess it kind of, you know, fast forward a year and a half, um, we we get thrown as, a, as a, a world into a lockdown situation where people now no longer can have the life they used to have. Um, you know, they're not interacting with people in the same way they were. They took maybe being outside for granted and, and exercising. But then there's a lot of people who don't do any of those things, you know, then started to think about, you know, my gran um, who, who died 10, 12 years ago, but she, in the latter years of her life, sat in a flat in Glasgow, didn't see anyone, smoked 40 fags a day. Mm. Um, you know, so so in a way also lonely, also not exercising, also not getting outside, also not interacting with people. Um, and so, I mean, these, these are probably very basic or a basic understanding of it and not being a psychologist, you know, it, 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 you know, on a personal level, those are the things that seem to matter for my mental health. And just, you know, I dealt with it in a 10 day period because I, I had a flight that night to Greenland to do an expedition. So of course I, I, I you knew did. I, <laughs> I, I, I went from I went from ten days in in a nuclear bunker in the dark on my own to f- flying to Greenland on the on the last 
night for an expedition with Steve Backshaw into 24-hour daylight for the next five oh, weeks God. on this expedition. But, um, yeah, I you know, they, it seems like, you know, from a layman's point of view as a guinea pig that, that if I didn't know that I was getting out on day 10, I, I think I would have unraveled in half the time that that it would have taken me, you know, to, to get to that 10 days, maybe three or four days, I, I would have found it incredibly difficult. I've got so many questions uh, about it, actually. Um, but just on that note about how we can compare it in a less extreme way to lockdown, um, I think, you know, pragmatically speaking at the start of the pandemic it was certainly the right decision to lock down people because we didn't know what we were dealing with i remember vividly at the time i was having messages from friends in america and and family members my sister was in new york and i actually told her you need to come back to london because i need to have eyes on you i work at the local a and e and itu so i know that you know i i can look after you because we had no idea about the um, how spreadable this was, uh, the lethality of it, the potential for um, uh, viral changes. Um, so at that time, it was, it was super scary, and I think it was the right thing to to lock down everyone. Thereafter, once we'd learned a lot more about the virus, I don't think we've really appreciated the other impacts of locking down people and actually measuring that against the lethality of of said virus. And that's not to say that COVID and the mutations aren't super scary and very, very nasty conditions that have impacted, you know, friends and family, as well as colleagues. But we also have to marry everything else up uh, against it. You know, the financial insecurity, the impact on anxiety, the impact on eating disorders, the, the other intangibles that we don't really talk about enough. And I think your experience kind of exemplifies just how important mental nourishment is from the perspective of being able to go outside or even just the the um the unknown of how long a lockdown is going to last for i i think um there's loads to talk about here on this but you know fear of the unknown is one of the biggest anxieties that that people have and it's you know it it's the old adage knowledge dispels fear um and, and and it does, you know, monsters under the bed. If you actually got a torch and looked under there, there isn't a monster there. You know, so so that that knowledge um that you know, it dispelling fear and, and the fear of the unknown. So we no one knew what it was that we were dealing with. Um I a couple of years ago, two thousand fourteen, was in West Africa through the the whole of the um Ebola epidemic in in um liberia and sierra leone and i can tell you that was one of the most traumatic things that i've ever seen is is to watch these nations being ripped apart by by a virus that that you know at the time had a mortality rate of high high 90s um and it was a big decision to go down there and and to to make this film with with a team um and it was unseen enemy and that film, at the very start, talks about it almost. I mean, if you if you get a chance to watch it, it's it's amazing. CNN, Unseen Enemy, it, 
it describes a global pandemic breaking out that that isn't Ebola, but it's you know it effectively talks about what happens with you know when when COVID sort of struck, um, and so it's inevitable. It was inevitable, um, and and from what I understand, there'll be plenty more of these these viruses. And you know, as soon as we open up a, you know, I've seen it firsthand. You mm. open up um, a logger will open up a root in the jungle to take down, you know, a big tree. They they do it kind of almost surgically in some places where they just go for a specific tree but they'll open up a route and they'll take the tree they'll take that out that track is then open for local people going hunting um wildlife gets in there animals get in there dogs usually get in there then there's an interaction between the animals that live in the jungle and and those domesticated animals or people so you know i think at that time the cdc guy that i was speaking to in sierra leone was saying there'll be two or three of these viruses um, that, that transfer over into humans every single year. And it's just a matter of time before one of them does exactly what viruses do and, and spread well. Um, and so my time in, actually, my time in West Africa through the, the whole of the Ebola outbreak and the time in the bunker kind of gave me real perspective on when I was locked down in my flat in Bristol and I had the internet and I had Zoom and I had my garden to train in and I could be outside in my garden. I was lucky enough to, to have a garden. We just moved actually from Tooting. Um, we didn't have a garden at there and we moved to Bristol and, and had a garden. So I kind of had this perspective of, I knew what it was like watching people die on the street and, and being watching you know 50 babies being buried on a day um, in Sierra Leone to this virus that, that we had here that to the majority of people didn't seem to, to affect. And uh, it was just a very, it's very difficult to understand. It still is, you mm. know, it's still difficult to understand. I feel incredibly lucky because I work and have been able to work certainly in the last eight months, a year. Um, but I just wonder what the implications are to someone who let's say just finished university there are no jobs um at the minute around and we're still in and out of lockdowns and and there's restrictions and i just think you know is is the mental health you know is it a mental health crisis that's that's about to to unfold in front of us and is that a bigger implication i i just always feel like i have to be careful because there's so many people being affected yeah, with it yeah, in so yeah. many different ways but for the younger generation who aren't mainly affected by the virus if they get it, um, but there are no jobs, there are no work, you know, they've they've had a lot of their um, freedoms taken away, festivals, all the things that we used to take for granted, you know, those golden days, are they gone? Are they gone forever? Um, I don't know. It's, a, it's such a nuanced conversation. It's very hard to, to talk about because there aren't any... Um, you know slogans uh that you can stand behind there's not just like open up or end lockdown you know it, and and unfortunately because most of the conversations we're having are on character limited social media platforms you don't really yeah. get to the the underbelly of what we need to be talking about the 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 nuance and 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 all these issues you know balancing uh the lethality of a of a virus the uh, impact on uh, mutations 
the impact on um, uh, hospital pressures during winter. Yeah. You know, yeah. with a, an immune naive uh, population, there, there's so many issues, and we've talked about it on this podcast actually from a number of different angles through immunology researchers, people suffering with eating disorders, etc. Uh, but it's really interesting to have your 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 perspective on that because it's it's almost like you, you, you the last uh, few years of experience up into the pandemic hitting was like gearing you up to be the perfect person to have this conversation someone who's experienced extreme isolation and an extreme virus you know well that was you know we when when we first went into lockdown i was in south sudan doing a job and my wife she phoned and she was on the sat phone she was like this is all unfolding you know like I don't think people are going to travel. It sounds like the world's shutting down. So sure enough, you know, three days later we're packing up our camp in South Sudan, and we're we you know we're heading back to Ethiopia, and you know, and and then back to the UK to go into to lockdown. Um, and within a very short space of time, I was doing these zooms with you know and podcasts, and people were like, how do you? how should people cope? And, and the one biggest thing, jumping back to how we started this conversation, was routine and discipline. Same for a kid, same for a dog, same for us. Like, they, we, we suddenly have all of that taken away from our, our normal lives. That's gone. So, like, be preemptive. Don't deliberate. You know, don't be in this denial phase. It's like, this is happening. Right, let's deal with it anyway. Make a decision. Right, fine. You know, kids are up at this time. Um, it sounds probably a lot easier than it is, but like I exercise from here, you know, I do this from here to here because, you know, without that, you know, it's it's like almost every day is Christmas Day. You know, you're in your pajamas, you're sat watching TV, and you know, it it just gets, it just gets to the point where you know you need to be the one that takes control of your your life at that point. Yeah. You know, while everything else is falling apart in every other way, you still can control that. Give yourself the routine and. And have the discipline to to follow that through. And that was the biggest thing, you know, the fear of the unknown and how long we'd be in this situation. Um, and I always just feel like it's better to take action than be um, reactive. Mm. Um, you know, be proactive in that situation. It's like, well, right, fine. It may be here for a week, five days, or a month, or a year, um, and and then sort of write out your. I, I I wrote out a routine. I would write out, you know, I'll be training here, and I'll be doing this here, I'll be doing that there um yeah yeah I, I didn't think i was going to have anything that i i could say that i do uh like aldo kane but yeah the, the routine <laughs> definitely I, i'm a big sticker for my routine so as my partner will tell uh will tell everyone i i wake up pretty early at like 5 uh 5 15 every day i have like uh meditation and, and gratitude journals and i exercise every morning and the, the the thought of me having completed a whole bunch of tasks, including work before most people have got up is great. And it means that by midday, I've completed most of the things that I need to do. And then I can actually kick my feet up and take the, the dog out for a walk yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I, I love it when I'm working from home that I've got that that routine uh, nailed. So, and I didn't think I was gonna <laughs> have something that we, we share a common bond over. So that's great. Do you, rem yeah. do you remember the the uh the moment that you left that bunker like what what was that like when when you you went out and you saw like you know grass and trees and people and it, it was it was one of the most uh, like amazing sort of experiences that that i've had because 
in lots of ways from a, from a, what I was seeing, feeling and smelling at that time, but also from knowing that I'm in this environment the whole time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm lucky in a way that with my job, you know, I get that, you know, when you go into a cave system, for example, for five, six days in, you know, Venezuela, when you start coming, so you're in the dark the whole time, but you're doing stuff, you know, you're exploring. And when you come back out, you start to smell like the rotten vegetation. You get that in caves. I was in a cave last week in, um, in near Bristol. And uh, when you come out, you can smell the rotten vegetation. You know, you eat all the stuff that we're fairly used to smelling here. But when I got out of the bunker, I like, because I'd been in lots of caves, I knew that, you know, I would, I would see it, all my senses would, would come alive. So I was, I was like, geeing myself up to remember it. And I can just honestly, it's like the matrix, you know, because it was a damp cell effectively that I was in, in the, the dark. And I just came out and it was almost like you could, you know, you could smell these, you know, I could smell individual plants and trees. It was in Devon, so it was beautiful. And it was in the middle of summer. Um, the wind, the warm wind on my face, just wow. the, everything being in like glorious technicolor. Yeah. Um, you know, like as if someone had got it on Snapseed and turned the saturation up. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for the for the the short amount of time, I only had about an hour and twenty minutes to finish off the interview, um, do a bit of science sort of monitoring, and then I was I was on the train and taxi heading back to London to go to um, Greenland that night. Um, but that bit of time was like utterly amazing. Mm. But it's also in a strange way, looking back, even just because of this conversation, we can have that every day. Yeah. You know, you can go and go to a local forest at the park and then just be close your eyes for five seconds and open them and be like, wow. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, enlightened maybe. It, it, isn't it incredible that we forget just how amazing just every second, every moment is and it takes that bunker experience to bring that to full life, but you can practice that every single day by just reminding yourself just how incredible each moment is yeah yeah and you know lockdown proved that where people started to notice yeah. the nature and the garden people slowed down you know the the dawn chorus the evening chorus no planes flying above um you know but we can't you can exactly like you say you can go and find these things to do and and it, this goes back to the very start of our conversation is that if that was a thing that made you feel better when it when it happened and you started to notice it, then make a point. Like you now know that that's something that you want to do. You found that thing that one of the things that you want to do. So make a point of once a week, once a month, whatever that time scale is, to go and leave your normal place and go and see. the big one is to go and see the sunrise. Like I, <laughs> you know, like it, it's so basic, you know. But can you imagine being eventually getting your head round thousands of years ago that it might not come back up again, yeah. you know, and that was, it was going to be dark yeah. forever. <laughs> and then it comes up like it's such a free basic thing that, that, that I'll try and do it maybe once a month, maybe once every two or three weeks is to get all the way through, you know, it's easy through the winter, but through the summer as well. Yeah. Um, 
it's yeah that's incredible it's amazing that's a that's an amazing uh tip for people to uh to sort of reconnect um i mean what what other i want to bring our conversation to a to a nice close here but uh what 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 other activities do you recommend people uh engage in uh you know if if they're listening to this and they work in an office or they work in um you know at home or or they work in in hospitals you know everyone has their sort of routines in terms of work but how do we, how do we reconnect and actually uh grasp that appreciation for nature and just how lucky we are i think it's um yeah i i think in the military they use the term adventurous training because it you know going and doing a, a climb or something hard and arduous is um analogous to to being at war right so you can see the traits in someone by putting them under pressure on a climb or kayaking or something so and when you look at social media it can be quite worrying and scary that there's so much elitism out there in the outdoors and you know which is off-putting to most people but the simple part of it is is that you anyone can do it you generally don't need a lot of money to do it um but it's much more about again making the decision to do it because you could get up early one morning leave your house and just go for a walk where before all the noise starts and the hubbub of town wakes up um or do it through the night if it's safe to do it somewhere or just get on the train um and and go somewhere that you've never been before and all of these things going somewhere you've never been before, seeing things that you've never seen before can all happen within probably an hour of your house. Um, you know, we get set up in all these um, like rat runs of the things that we do in the routine of getting to work and, you know, get off the tube two stops early, get on, you know, walk two stops to the next tube that you wouldn't normally get. I used to do that in Tooting was I would walk, you know, the Northern line. Yeah. And some days, you know, if I didn't have, if I didn't have, to you know any more meetings in the afternoon i would walk back along the northern line you know back to where where i live and i would see places that i would never have normally seen um so i i think again it's that awareness it's really easy to do that's what i sussed coming out of the bunker that for my mental health and to have a good cornerstone and foundation it was weird because the things that made the most difference to me were free you know, all the other trappings that I had and the things I wanted and the nice-to-haves didn't actually make me happy. What made me happy was interacting with people, exercising and being outside. And and actually, whether whether you... I, 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 I won't probably go out on a limb here, but, I you know, I venture to suggest that even if you don't like being outside or exercising or interacting with people, if you did it, you would probably be in a better headspace than you than you were yeah. <laughs> where, where before it. I don't know, um, but yeah, that's. I would say just you know is is get out, get outside. Yeah, get outside. Yeah, I I to to go back on a point that you were talking about earlier about how we've evolved. I I certainly think we are um, tribal people that have evolved to live in communities with connection we share food we share stories we you know walk together our mental uh um, meditation practices walking and stillness and, and being um cognizant of, of everything that's going on in the environment the the two things that i uh i'm planning well one i'm planning to do one i do fairly often 
uh the thing i'm planning to do is doing a foraging course uh because i i Amazing. i love cooking obviously that's that's my gig like writing cookbooks and stuff but i don't think i know that much about uh growing and and finding stuff in nature and that will be an excuse to go out in the wild as well and the second thing i do for anyone that's living in cities is i found the best time to get that quiet is sunday morning so instead of doing something late on a saturday night or like going out or whatever go to bed early wake up early on sunday honestly it's like there is no one else in the city and walk around go to some of the sites it's incredible it is absolutely amazing so definitely try and do that because you'll be you'll be amazed at how still the city can be yeah that's yeah that's super true and and, and that's not walking back from your saturday no night, no <laughs> 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 but um yeah no the and the foraging course as well that's that's something that's you know once once you start to look around and see what's available for eating just you know in in your local park or in your local forest it's 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 quite it has that more gives you that confidence again yeah um, absolutely you know, basics food water shelter yeah although i haven't asked you about lions narcos uh upsailing down volcanoes anything like that but hopefully you found this conversation enriching anyway we talked about <laughs> butterflies and grass and smelling decomposing vegetation so <laughs> yeah no I've, I've i've loved it it's it's quite um it's quite refreshing because you do i do end up you know talking to lots of people about all the adventurous parts of it but you know that's that's one part of that that's what i do but you know there's there's a whole other side of what i'm interested in and it's much more about mental well-being about physical health and um yeah I, you know that's everything that we've talked about there has been bang on yeah thank you definitely no no thank you and i think you know my sort of role i guess as a doctor who likes playing around with vegetables and talking about like mindfulness is to sort of extract the rich experiences that you've had for an audience that probably will never get i mean i personally will never get to do some of the amazing things that you've done uh purely because i don't think i've got it in me but also because i don't i i, I just won't ever get to that point where i'm upsetting down you know and looking at lava rivers and stuff i'm more than happy to watch you do it on tv and feel inspired <laughs> but you know i think there are things that you've done through your experiences that can enrich the lives of yeah. people listening to this and um honestly the book's fantastic uh, it's full of wonderful stories and uh yeah i wish you the best with it it's uh, it's amazing what, what are you going to do next actually what, where's the next expedition i i, I i'm uh, sure you've got you've got to like run after this and grab a train and go to Heathrow or something i don't know um, um no no I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm here i just just got back from the arctic so i've been home for about a month um and i'm not away again until january so oh, fab. uh he heading over to the states and then down to ecuador so i've got a huge amount of time at home amazing um, amazing which is great oh, you, dad. you get to see uh, atlas grow uh that's, that's yeah. amazing amazing good on you dude all right man thank you so much for having me on really appreciate that no thank you honestly that was uh that's brilliant Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Aldo Kane. His book is fantastic. You need to go check it out. It is called Lessons on the Edge. And if you go to Aldo's website, he's also got a fitness program that I'm currently doing right now. And yes, it is fairly tasty. So it's definitely not for the faint-hearted, but I'm absolutely loving it right now. So do go check that out. It's only 30 quid or something. Um, and thank you so much for, for listening in. I will see you here next time. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.